0: Is not a lot of help for couples in what has been published today. The behavioural model does not work and I think it's about time that we realise that, you know.
1: My name is Paul Harvey and this is Life, Passion and Business. We're about helping you explore, finding your passion for life and the work that you do. But it's so much more than that, it's about finding clues to the big life questions. What does it mean to be successful? What is the meaning of life? If you're looking for more then join me on this journey where together we will discover through interviews, tools and tips, how to live life full of meaning, passion and purpose. However we look at life, most of us would agree that a good life is a journey that we share with someone special. A partnership or a marriage where we are seen, honoured and loved for who we are. It is a life success goal for most people. But you know, life goes up and down and relationships and marriages often fail. And thankfully, most societies have moved on from the stigma associated with marriage failure. However, the truth for many people is is that finding the one can be a bumpy journey with highs, lows and lots of pain and disappointment. So this brings me to our conversation with Tim Kellis and he is on a mission to solve what he calls the marriage problem. Tim started his career early with a fascination with engineering in high school. He went to college and got an engineering degree and went into the world of business. His first job was with AT&T and he was in at the start of the telecom's growth bubble. He did well and moved on to the analyst and finance side of the industry. He got an MBA along the way and ended up on Wall Street as as the first semiconductor analyst. He made his mark, advising on stocks and making lots of money. Life was fun. He travelled, he lived in eight cities and he enjoyed life. However, while he dated life was passing by and he had not found the one the one woman he could spend his life with and then he did tim was in his late 30s when he finally got together with the woman that mattered they were going to spend the rest of their lives together then it all went wrong they both wanted it to work and they tried hard all of the therapists and counseling but it just made it worse It all came to a crisis point with a stock market crash and his job went and so did the relationship. It became Tim's mission to explore the relationship industry. With his engineering and analytical skills, he read over 100 books in 10 months. And then he went off to Costa Rica to be a nomad and write his own book on the subject. Our conversation is about Tim's journey through the marriage guidance industry and the development of his process to support people in their relationships. Today he speaks on stages across the world and has a thriving Facebook community with over 20,000 people. Let's join the conversation with Tim Kellis. Welcome to the program, Tim.
0: Paul, thank you very much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to come on the podcast and uh, share. <laughs> That's what, what I'm here to do is to share.
1: Well, look, we'll get to the marriage stuff, Stu. Uh, course, so this is obviously the story of your life, first of all, because obviously you must have learned—you must have learned something on the way to get to this situation. So, look, where did it start for you? What did you want to be when you when you were young?
0: You know what's so interesting about that question? I, I, that was answered to me in my sophomore year of high school in my physics class when my physics teacher introduced me to engineering. I was always good in high school in math and science. And so I thought an engineer was the guy that works on trains. And And uh, I actually, he, he took us to uh, Emerson Electric was the name of the company, uh, uh, electric company. And uh, I was introduced to engineering in my sophomore year of high school. And so I knew going into college, I wanted to be an engineer. In fact, I actually prepared. So I was able to test out in my first semester of uh, physics and my first semester of calculus. And so I actually graduated with an engineering degree in four years because I was prepared from my sophomore physics class. (laughs) So I wanted to be an engineer from from high school. But then then the journey is just, you know, where God has taken me because I'm on my sixth career. Actually, I've lived in eight cities in my adult life. So I've been I've been in many different places.
1: I mean, you know, when you came out of college, did you go into engineering as you planned?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, my first job out of undergrad was with AT&T. And I spent, and this was, uh, this was 1985 to date myself. This was one year after the government split up AT&T and ushered in this phenomenal innovation that we've seen over the last 40 years as a result of the breakup of the AT&T monopoly in 1984. So I started in 1985 in the telecom industry and I was there at the very beginning days of all of the innovation that took place in the telecom industry. Actually landed on Wall Street as the first semiconductor analyst on Wall Street to focus on the communications market. That was my claim to fame. That was where I took my nine years of telecom equipment industry experience after I got my MBA.
1: <clears throat> okay. So you went you went on to you went went on to study further for MBA.
0: <laughs> Much further. <laughs> yeah, I was I was at the the height of capitalism at the height of the market in the 90s in the mid and late 90s so NBA, uh, and,
1: and it, mba were well, all big then weren't they 80s and 90s it was all about getting your mba wasn't it really because yeah, remember- it's
0: still big if you want to get onto wall street you know if you want to make it to wall street or in consulting there's still areas where an mba is, is required but uh, yeah it was a it was a pretty fascinating journey i used to joke when i worked on wall street be careful of wanting something because you might actually get it. And I got what I wanted. It was I, I discovered the stock market in 1986. I made 30 grand on my first investment. It was, it was a great experience, and it really sucked me into the, the beauty of capitalism and the markets and stuff like that. So I loved working on Wall Street. I never worked so hard in my entire life, though, than when I worked on Wall Street.
1: So what was the net result of all that lot? Because obviously you, you you had a great job in Wall Street. What did, What made you leave
0: it? Well, it was at the height of the market. Now we're heading into the conversation. At the height of the market, I had met this girl. Actually, I had known her for eight years. We had the same circle of friends, but she always had a boyfriend and I always had a girlfriend. And we got together at at one point where neither of us were in relationships. And as anybody who's ever fallen in love knows, it happened fairly quickly. I mean, we we were already friends. We already knew each other. And when we got together romantically, we fell in love, you know, big time in a very short time frame. We were going to spend the rest of our lives together, but then we started fighting. And more, How old
1: were you How old were the pair of you?
0: I was in my late thirties. Oh, Okay. Yeah, oh. yeah, I was in my, uh, yeah, in, in my, uh, yeah, late thirties. So I, I, was, I already had, you know, a lot of experience in dating and relationships and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I mean, because I, I was, I was looking for what I, somebody that I was going to be in love with. I mean, I, I it always, you know, like all of us or most of us, you know, there's always been a desire for me to, to find that woman that I want to spend the rest of my life with and, you know, have a family with. And, and she was supposed to be that person. Uh, but then we we started fighting. But, but more importantly, and I can't tell you how important this is, Paul, we went to a marriage therapist. Most people in our society today think that if you have problems with your marriage, you just go to professionals and they will help you. Well, I've actually had experience on what actually goes on. Behind closed doors in the psychology industry, because I, I realized that the therapist that we were using wasn't helping. And, and it was the pain of that experience. Well, listen, Paul, that's a whole long conversation on the psychology industry. We get in as much as you want, but but the net result was that it's been created as something that is there to make more money, to be a long, long lasting, the you know, biologically based on I mean, there's this whole psychology conversation, but the pain of that experience and anybody's ever lost somebody that they've loved like that knows what I'm talking. I just, I, I could not believe that this guy was not helping us. I could not believe that. And then I really discovered, I read two dozen relationship books uh, as part of my hundred book research project that I went on to as a result of this relationship ending. Forgiveness is not mentioned in a single book. Forgiveness is not mentioned once. Empathy is not mentioned in a single relationship book you know, basic concepts that those of us in the outside world know that are important in relationships are not concepts that the, the psychology industry is all behavioral based. It's all behavior advice, you know, date night and stuff like that. Five love languages. But, but but more importantly, before we get there, but it was it was just the only, I mean, I'm a Wall Street analyst. And if you don't know what a Wall Street analyst does is we research industries. We are experts in industries. I can spend the next two hours telling you how your phone works. I, I won't but I could, but that's the point. I realized I had the experience, the background and the capability of researching the psychology industry or researching what it takes to make a marriage successful. It turns out it's more of a socialist. The solution is equality. Equality is a political concept. It's not yet entered into the halls of the psychology industry yet. So that's why it takes much more of an understanding than just a psychological understanding on knowing what makes marriage work. And that's what I've done. My 100 books is the whole... The whole spectrum of, of everything in, in society you know politics and in in governments and religions even capitalism i've got some stories of capitalism in my book to, to demonstrate some points so, so but it, yeah the point is is it was very painful it was i just the, my only cathartic outlet was to research and write a book to solve the problem myself
1: so did you i mean were you still working in wall street at this time or did you move on from there
0: oh at that time i, I what had happened was i had at the height of the market, I went to a, – a, 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 I was on a team of eight of us. We were managing about $7 billion. In, in, wow. It was an inter, big insurance company, a company by the name of Allianz, the largest <laughs> insurance company in Europe. Uh, I was part of the capital markets group. But I started in June of 2000 as their technology guy. Now, again, a little history of, of the markets is the, the tech market peaked in June of 2000. Right, and it went. The Nasdaq went from 5,500 in June of 2000 to 1,500 at its bottom. And so I basically started recommending technology investments at the worst time possible. And so they let they ultimately closed their whole capital markets down when the market plummeted. They they went to index investing, got rid of all their active investments. Uh, you know all their active investment employees, which was me and the other seven of us. And that that at the same time happened when, when this relationship was ending. So to me, it was God giving me another change of direction in my career. So I was not working. I spent literally 10 months reading 100 books. And to do the math for you, that is two and a half books a week on average, nonstop for 10 months. And then I moved to Costa Rica where I spent nine months writing the book. I actually ble- bleached my hair blonde. I wore an earring. I was, I was the, 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 tip, the typical, you know, writer, creative type, living that bohemian lifestyle in Costa Rica. It was really a bizarre experience.
1: <laughs> Sounds like it. I mean, there must be some stories to tell in Costa Rica as well. So so how did it evolve from there? Because, I mean, you, so, what, did you leave the – I mean, you, you're out of this relationship. The companies let you go. And you've you've been you feel driven to, to write this book. Did you have any view of what the book was going to go? What it was going to go? What, what, this is going to be your career.
0: Uh, I, I did. Well, it started formulating at that point. The whole concept of you know where I was going and the impact that I would have. Um, you know, I made some great discoveries. For example, Paul, do you know who Carl Jung is? Yes. Okay. So for anybody who is watching or listening to this, who Does not know who Carl Jung. Carl Jung was 19 years younger than Freud. Mm. Freud looked up to Jung so much that he not only considered him his heir apparent, but his son. Mm. And let's just say Jung disagreed with Freud's sexuality theory, and they had their famous breakup in 1912. And Jung went much further than Freud did in discovering how the mind works. One of my ultimate objectives is to ultimately, finally replace Freud with Jung. Jung is the one we should be following, not Freud. But I discovered Jung's autobiography, which was published in 1961. And 20% of my, of my book is a summary of his autobiography that I read nine times before I was able to summarize it.
1: Wow. I take it it's heavy going then.
0: It's, it's, it's deep. It's, well, in fact, they, the Freudians call Jungian psychology depth psychology because it's too deep for, for Freudians to understand. So, yes, it does. Well, the mind is that Jung refers to the unconscious as expansive within as the universe is expansive without, as he puts it, meaning that we don't realize the depth of what's going on upstairs in our minds. And we haven't yet, because of the Freud biology theory, really done any job whatsoever in really uncovering the components of the unconscious. That's one of the biggest things that I do is I take Jung's discussion of the unconscious further than anybody has taken it before, so that it finally becomes understandable for every for the for the masses to be able to understand what it is that motivates our, our conscious awareness. There's a whole engine. Behind the scenes that we don't even realize is going on—it's called the unconscious for a reason, and we are unaware of it. And our job, in my opinion, for the next two thousand years—if you want to get really deep—is to explore our unconscious, like, like we're trying to explore space. We haven't begun that journey yet.
1: Mm. So that is—it's all linked to the same conversation, and it's amazing. Well, then, well
0: that, and that's—and that's what Young discovered. Yeah, one of the reasons why Young has been written off is he puts uh, Christianity in context of every other religion. He actually psychoanalyzes Jesus, which you're not allowed to do in the Catholic religion. No, you know. you're not allowed <laughs> to humanize Jesus, and so he does that. But he also, you know, anybody who's insightful has looked at other religions, particularly Eastern religions. Eastern religions, because of what they done, they did developing in the East is much more progressive than the western religions because of our need to justify wars and and and, and massacres and things that the reality is, is is you know god may have a reason for that stuff but it's hard for people in the short term to be able to to see the value of war and people have been able to do all kinds of things politically to justify wars you know and we know that from history religious history and political history
1: so this obviously became a passion for you, driving driving you. What What is the passion behind it for you to drive this?
0: Passion is something that you realize that, that this is your faith. And I have a whole real deep conversation about fate. Paul, the most direct answer to your question is there is not a lot of help for couples in what has been published today. The behavioral model does not work. And I think it's about time that we realize that, you know, In fact, it was pointed out to me a couple of weeks ago that The Five Love Languages was actually published in 1992. That is the most progressive, but it's still behavioral based. And let me me explain what I mean by that. Let me let me give you an example, a, a, a a snippet of an example. If Gary Chapman wanted to really help people psychologically, what he would have written is that both in the relationship should be doing all five love languages. And the reason why you picked the one that you picked is because either you didn't have it in your childhood or your spouse isn't giving it to you because your spouse didn't have it in their childhood. And once you realize that, once you include the childhood in the conversation, now you begin to bring up the psychological aspect of who the person is today based on what they learned in their upbringing, because that's where that's where... Quite honestly, most, not all, but most of our mental problems uh, occur because of our relationship with our parents. The only reason, Paul, why I can comfortably and confidently tell anybody that I have solved the marriage problem is because I forgave my parents when I was 25 years old. Mm -hmm. It turns out we are supposed to be born twice. First, obvious, biologically. But we are also supposed to be born psychologically into adulthood. The bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah in the Jewish tradition, the first communion in the Christian tradition, the quinceanero in the Latino tradition are all ceremonies that are initiation ceremonies into adulthood. They just happen when we're too young. We don't we don't start our our, uh, journey into adulthood now until we're at least into our our 20s, you know, at at the earliest, because we need to get to that point as an adult where we're starting our career, we're dating, you know, this is a whole new world that we're living in where we have a lot more options and opportunities, financially speaking and career speaking. And that gives us all really an opportunity to find our own individual journey on, on life. But uh, so, yeah, this is, this is a, this is a very deep conversation. It's supposed to be, because you're supposed to elevate your marriage to the number one priority, not the bottom priority, which is where most marriages ultimately regress to.
1: So you mentioned this five, five languages of love was it
0: it's called the five love languages five that love lang- most, yeah that's the most popular concept in the in the political domain today which is basically you're supposed to figure out that one love language that your partner is most interested in and that's what you're supposed to focus on It's behavioral advice and they're supposed to do the same for you are they i mean well, is it
1: is it is it something you could you, you could sum up you know in a couple of words or is it too complicated Five love
0: languages it's it's like gifts acts of service um, uh, physical. There are five different behaviors that are all five common sense things that should be part of your marriage. Right. They all five. You should you should be acts of service for your partner. You should be comfortable with intimacy. You should be you know uh, all the five love languages. All five of them are just common sense concepts and things that should be instrumental in your relationship. But you'll find out that there's one in general that sometimes it's usually different but there's one that the wife isn't getting and the one that the husband isn't getting and so what he's doing is he's giving behavior advice give it and that's the the level of the conversation it's not very deep at all there's not much depth there's certainly no psychological component to it that's the point it's all behavioral advice Mm.
1: wow so you did this work And you, you obviously discovered something. So where did it go from there? How did how did it how did this all evolve?
0: Well, I I researched and wrote the book twenty years ago, and then needed to. It it was an interesting journey of trying to get it published. I had one uh, agent read the first three pages of my manuscript, told me the average person reads one book a year. This won't sell. I'm not interested. I had to get back into a financial world. So I got back on Wall Street and that's what got me down I'm in South Florida right now. That's what got me down in South Florida. And then 14 years ago, I decided I was going to take my journey, the next step. So I actually self-published the book. And 14 years ago, I spent four years and like ten, like a million dollars uh, trying to get my, my my message up and running. And it didn't happen. I didn't get to that. That, uh, that tipping point, as they call it in the business world. So I got back on Wall Street, back working in the financial world. And just a uh, couple, almost three years ago, is when I finally jumped in with both feet and said, I'm not, there's nothing going to distract me. My mission, by the way, Paul, is to lower the divorce rate. That is my, my mission, my passion, because I know I can do that. I just need to get in front of enough people and have enough people hear what I'm talking about to bring awareness on how to create a successful marriage, wow. which is what I do. Wow.
1: I mean, to, to spend a million dollars on, on promoting that is just that's some commitment. So, in, in all of this, with all this work, I, I hope you found yourself a wonderful partner. Please say yes, because it could be very embarrassing.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, have the mo- I have to explain, I have the most amazing woman in my life who is the motivation for me doing this, but she has asked me not to talk about her. So, in, in fact, if I, in, but the reality, Paul, if I were to come here and say, look, I'm in a great marriage and We're going to live happily ever after. There's no value to that. The lessons that were learned were lessons that I've learned from relationships that did not work out. And that is the point I had to go through those learning experiences. So being in successful marriage, it's not the point of what I'm doing. Teaching on what makes them, you know, you have to understand what makes a, a marriage not work before you're able to fix it. Just saying that, you know, your marriage is great doesn't fix anything.
1: No, but 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 you are in a relationship, which does prove that it whatever you whatever you've been doing does work. It, my personal
0: I, I, life is fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would
1: be it'd be pretty difficult to have, have to prove this thing if your personal life wasn't a bit of a mess. <laughs> it's,
0: it's all good. It's all good. Life is good.
1: Life is good. But is
0: good. but again, more importantly, my person my my professional mission though is to get in front of as many people as I can. And educate as many people as I can on the on the path to success, because there's nobody out there doing that right
1: now. No, indeed. indeed. I have a format on this on this podcast. So I need to stick with it. We could go down all sorts of rabbit holes here, but I will stick with the format. Otherwise, it causes me all sorts of hassle later. So how do you define success? Cause you know, as a cause, this is about the person really. It's about you, I'm I'm interested in your journey. You know, when you were in Wall Street, I guess success was was finding the right stock and and securing your bonuses. But how do you define it now?
0: Well, no, no, no you're 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 answering with the obvious outward experiences of yeah. success. Yeah, I know. I know but, but I'll t- uh, but I'll tell you. No, I'm going to answer your question. The answer to your question. Uh, And this is actually one of the real significant motivations for me doing this. There's something about having knowledge that people respect. Yeah. And the, the platform that I was on working on Wall Street, I mean, I've moved stocks. I've got a whole conversation about my experience on Wall Street that I won't get into. But I was respected by the financial community working on Wall Street. I'm looking to get that kind of respect in the marriage business. And I've already felt it. I know what that means. I know what it feels like to actually put together a body of knowledge that that people could use, like I did on Wall Street. And I'm doing the same thing now. That is what I'm creating within myself is getting back to that place uh, that I was at as a Wall Street analyst, but this from a much more expansive and much more significant perspective. So to me, success is having people earning respect is something to be earned. Hmm. And that's what I realize I'm doing my uh, motivation for working my butt off is to get to earn people's respect on what I know about how to make America successful.
1: Yeah, clearly. And, that, and, and that's that, that's very valid. I mean, it's in, in full alignment with your mission, isn't it, in that respect?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, again, that's, you know, I realize I have a very unique background. Yeah. You know, engineering degree, We engineers are taught to solve problems. Wall Street analysts were taught to be analytical. And then I did my research. So I researched the 100 books with the experience of an analytical eye. So when I'm studying the psychology industry, I have an analytical eye. I'm not reading it and just taking it in as if I was just a student, but I'm actually analyzing the content to determine the validity of the content. That's why I realized the psychology industry has yet to move beyond Freud's biology theory. And so they still think that we are animals incapable of thinking, which is why there's no logical solution. We can think about our feelings. That is how far they've taken it's the, it's the how does it make you feel question. What are your thoughts behind your feelings, but not your thoughts behind your thoughts. That has not entered into the psychology industry yet because they still believe that we're animals. They still study animals to this day. Mm, and, and I see stories all the time where they just did this new study where they studied these animals. And this was resolved. Like, what the heck does that have to do with us as humans? Nothing. But the industry has followed that path for the last hundred years. And they're still on that path. That's how we justify drugging people. That's where the whole... Drugging thing comes from it's biological based that our mind is a reaction to our brain states, which is quite honestly no science at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, my last podcast, the podcast went out last week. Um, Terry, Terry Sidhu, Terry Sidhu, and uh, he, he's, a, he, he's a specialist in meditation, uh, and he helped people with issues by using meditation that would not require a talking therapy and not require drugs. So, yeah, there are many ways of tackling, tackling some of the stuff as you talk about. Well, and,
0: yeah, that's, this is, this is you know, it's quite honestly, mythologically speaking, this is the age of Aquarius and that's the water bearers age of spirituality. To use a word that can turn people off, but spirituality is just your relationship with yourself. That's all it is. How, mm. how do you, what do you say to yourself up here? And that's what all of these, you know, mental approaches like meditation, Uh, in Reiki and all kinds of things that people are doing in in the quote spiritual world and what they're doing is they're trying to get what's going on up here to be a pleasant experience and in fact I actually describe what goes on in the unconscious so that you can have a logical conversation on how to get to that place where your relationship with yourself is a successful one that's what I get into the real deep young stuff.
1: Interesting so I mean my next question is contribution it's bloody obvious what your contribution is but you better tell me
0: <laughs> I'm sorry
1: my next question is contribution how do you see you contributing to the world but it's a bit of an obvious conversation really because I can yeah, see well, how you're contributing well,
0: that's that's the point is, is you know we've had this culture of divorce since the 60s in America so it's you know 60 years and there's been nothing yet that's really given people the guidance and insight on how to make it work and that's what I do and I realized that I've got a, a significant message that's not out there. So, um, uh, yeah, that's that's my my contribution is is just, just so people understand there is a solution. Once you understand what that solution is, then you know what you can do as a couple to learn to grow together. That's the, probably the most important thing that I teach people. My right. contribution is teaching couples how to grow together instead of growing apart.
1: How do you contribute to yourself?
0: Well, I'm always working on myself. My biography won't be finished until my obituary and only God knows my real name. Fair enough. The difference between somebody who is intelligent and somebody who is ignorant is one of them knows they're ignorant. Think about that one for a second. (laughs) I'm the most ignorant person that you will ever meet because I have an insatiable curiosity for learning and knowledge. You, you, I can never learn enough. I'm always, I try and learn something new on, a, on more than a day, multiple times a day. I'm always trying to learn. I'm always looking to learn. So I know me five years from now is going to be much more progressive than I am now. I'm learning to be patient. That's, that's my, my current project. How, how can Tim Kellis become patient with himself? Yeah, um, it, I, I I don't get mad at slow drivers any longer. That's actually a story I use to demonstrate a very significant point for relationships. But I no longer get mad at slow drivers. I used to. <laughs> I used so why? To
1: so really why? Crazy. So why? Why do you get? Why do you let them off the hook now? Then. Why? Why do you let slow drivers off the hook now? Why? What? What changed in you? What.
0: Learn about relationships. In fact, when I work with couples, I do a two-month weekly workshop. I'm going to start with another couple tonight. So I do a two-month weekly workshop, and at the beginning of every week, I always ask the same question. What is the most important thing that I'm here to teach you? In fact, last week, I was doing with a couple, and the husband starts laughing, and I ask him what's so funny. He goes, I just asked this question to my wife a couple hours ago because he had forgotten." The most significant thing to understand for a successful relationship is to understand your partner's perspective. When you understand your partner's feelings, it's called empathy, and when you understand your partner's thoughts, it's called respect. And so, how I so to t- answer your question, how I solve the slow driver problem was when I realized, the epiphany that I had was when I realized that that driver is also driving someplace. When I was able to look at it from the other driver's perspective, my anxiety anxiety completely went away. I no longer have any anxieties because all I immediately do, somebody in front of me goes, I don't get mad driving any longer. I'm just driving along. I'm going someplace. I'm enjoying my drive. I realize I have four wheels that are circling that are taking me someplace that if I didn't have a car, I'd have to walk to or ride a horse to. I mean, you know, I'm I'm appreciating things. This is what happens when you go through this mental awareness about who you are. Really, really understand who you are is you really learn to appreciate things. You have to become self-aware before you're you're going to become a giver anyhow. People who are not self-aware are takers. That is because they – A balanced ego is not when you're better than anybody else. It's when you're better than you used to be. That is the journey that we are all trying to figure out, because what you do is you eliminate other people's inputs to define who you are. This is one of the problems that celebrities, for example, have, because they still look at the public to define who they are, and they're so disassociated with themselves because they don't realize that they're the only ones that can define themselves. Yeah, and that is that is what it means to be balanced. And you, until you become balanced, you do not have the <laughs> mental or the psychological ability to truly open up to somebody else because it's all what you can get from a situation, as opposed to what you can give in a situation.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's about that idea of be, of being able to be vulnerable.
0: Vulnerable is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, well, that is love. That that is exactly what love is. Love is vulnerability. Vulnerability is the fear of getting hurt. When you meet that person that you ultimately, ultimately fall in love with, what you do is you get over that fear. At the beginning, the professionals call it the false facade, but you're putting your best foot forward at the beginning as you should. But what couples need to learn is how to talk about those things about their past that they may not be so proud of. Yeah. And they have to have a judgment-free environment within their marriage in order to do that, knowing that their partner will not think less of them when they expose these character flaws about themselves or character traits that are just not yet lessons that have been learned yet. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what these problems These problems are just lessons that haven't been answered yet.
1: So how does it work? What is what is it that you do for people? Is it is it a training courses? Is it is it one, one you know, direct coaching? How does it work?
0: Well, ultimately the answer to answer your question is I eliminate arguments, but that's a fundamental answer. But logistically, I begin with a free two-hour seminar. Anybody wants to connect with me? I'll sit down with uh I just had one last Saturday, um, but I'll do a, a two-hour seminar. It's free because I want you guys to see and understand the depth of what I do. I basically very, uh, you know, uh, uh, succinctly summarize the first half of the book in the two hour seminar. And then the next step after the seminar is when we get into the real detail stuff. That's the two month weekly workshop where I meet with couples on a weekly basis and basically walk them through the book. That's, that's that's what the book is for. A teacher doesn't throw a textbook at the student and say, I'll see you at the finals. The teacher's there to walk the student through the textbook. And that's what I do in my workshop.
1: But they can get the book. What's
0: the book called? The title of the book is called Equality. And the subtitle is The Quest for the Happy Marriage. You can find it on Amazon because 14 years ago I sold on Amazon, but I don't really sell the book. It's too complicated for, for most people to be able to read on their own without any guidance. So They still need me to guide them through the book, so I don't sell the book any longer by itself.
1: You can find it on Amazon if they wanted to.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can find them. Yeah, there's enough in circulation. If they wanted to, they could go to Amazon and find a used one.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. And so, how would they get in touch with you if people wanted to?
0: Well, the easiest way is my email address, which is my name, Tim Kellis, K-E-L-L-I-S at Happy. Relationships. The word is plural. Tim Callis at happyrelationships.com. And the other way to connect, as you and I talked about before we started recording, Paul, if you go to Facebook, yeah, the name of the group is the Marriage Support Group, yeah. which we are just about to go over 13,000 members as of the taping of this interview. Um, from 1,000 members about six months ago. It's been exploding just six months ago. For some reason, it got to that tipping point, and now I'm adding about 3,000 new members a month. And so you can go to the marriage support group, and, and I'm building a community. And one of the things that's unique to this group, and really, in my opinion, the reason why it's exploding, is I allow other marriage experts to contribute to the group as well which no other group allows you to do they, they think these other people are soliciting business and so they basically block anybody else that's contributing to their group so my group is an open platform so you'll find the conversations much more productive than you'll find in any other marriage groups but go to the marriage support group you can join and stay connected with me that way but again the easiest is my email address which is timcallis at happyrelationships.com
1: are you on any other social media channels
0: I'm on Instagram. I mean, I have a Twitter account I don't really use, but Facebook is the one that I, oh, I'm on Clubhouse. I, I do, a, I host a call Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I, I think I'm going to take a break for a bit, but, but you can also uh, connect with me on Clubhouse as well. I've actually connected with about 20 or 30 other marriage experts on Clubhouse. So when I do a call, I, your, Facebook, I mean, Clubhouse allows you to add 13 co-hosts to a room, so I always have 13 other marriage experts. So I'm building a community of marriage experts on Clubhouse as well. So people can go there as well. To, and that's, if you know Clubhouse, it's an audio only sort of a place for experts to, to go and look for people looking for that expert advice. And so it's a great community as well. So Clubhouse is another big one that I'm
1: on. Uh, it's a great club. I know it's a great loca- great great community. I've not been tempted. I, I, I have enough social channels not to do another one. So I, I kind of avoided Clubhouse. So all those links will be available on the podcast app of your choosing, or they will be at the website, life, passion and business. So do check out Tim's uh, Facebook page. I know the Facebook page is is great. I've I've had a look around there and seen some of the conversations going on. And whoa, it's interesting conversations. That's all I can say. Very interesting conversations. So well well worth a look. Uh, So Tim, I get to the last question I ask all my guests, which is the big one as far as most of us are concerned. But then a lot of people never even consider this. So what is the meaning of of life, my friend? What do you think the meaning of life is for you?
0: The the interesting thing about that question, Paul, Carl Jung discovered himself at 12 years old. Mm. and He's got this very poetic description of that experience. Before that experience, it was as if his life was a wall of mist. There was not yet an eye. But after he discovered himself, he realized that I exist. It's the question of all questions. And that question is, why are you on this planet? It is what we are all supposed to be asking ourselves. Paul, why are you here? Tim Callis, why are you here? Anybody listening or watching this, why are you here on this planet? That is the greatest of all questions and that is something that it's taken me literally 30 years as an adult to figure out so that to me is, is the greatest most depth thing that you could ask yourself and something that we all should be exploring
1: and you asked your when you asked that question of yourself what did you want what did what did the answer that came to you
0: well it's solving the marriage problem but it's taken me 30 years to figure that out yeah <laughs> far Young has a really really a poetic discussion of fate you know it's, I'm alone with God when I'm, when I'm going through my journey, uh, you know, t- life is timeless when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, you realize that God puts you on this planet for a reason. And mine is to save marriages. And, you know, and cause here's, let me end it this way as well, Paul, when I was 12 years old, I told my mom, I wanted to be a Catholic priest when I was 12 years old and, okay. and then I discovered girls. So that old career path kind of got derailed. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you can't be a Catholic priest and like girls. They don't go hand in hand. They don't go together very well. But the point is, is I was raised with a moral compass. And it's interesting that something that happened to me as a 12-year-old would actually become a significant component of my adult life in this whole marriage conversation. Because there's Hmm. a lot of biblical things uh, of value that you could. That's one of the things you realize Freud did. There's no biblical concepts like forgiveness or empathy in psychology but it is in the biblical world. And once you get past the wife will obey the husband, once you get past the patriarchal message at the very beginning of the Bible, there's a lot of conversations about unity, loving the person that you want to be loved, like Jesus loved the church. There's a lot of great concepts in, in there, but I didn't realize that this you know, religious experience I had as a 12 year old would actually become useful as, as an adult when I take on this marriage quest.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, all the best with it. I, yeah, I think it's a fantastic story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. And um, yeah, t- uh, Tim Kellis, thank you for being here with me today.
0: Paul, again, like I said at the beginning, I can't thank you enough. And, and I really appreciate you uh, for giving me an opportunity to appear and to, to share my message with you. Because obviously you can see it's something I'm very passionate about and something I feel that like I've got to get out. So, again, thank you very much for this this opportunity to appear yep. on your podcast.
1: Thanks, you, Tim. All the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Tim Kellis. If you'd like to catch up with Tim, he's offered his email address, which is timkellis at happyrelationships.com. you also find him at his Facebook group, which is the Marriage Support Group. And at the time of recording, about 13,000 members, I think it's now at 23,000 active members. So it's a very, very powerful group, well worth checking out. You can find all those links at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com And while you're there, do check out other resources that you'll find under the resources tab. And also there are over 300 conversations now on that website uh, plus over 200 um, shortcast conversations which are 10 minute little bits of information to support you on your journey. So do check out the website, all sorts of stuff for you to help you along the way. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you have enjoyed any podcast, make sure you support your content creators by likes, sharing or commenting. Because, you know, when you share a show like this or any show, it supports the host and it supports your friends because it's like it's how people like yourself find good podcasts. So do what you can to support this ecosystem because everybody gains from it. Anyway, as always, thank you so much for your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.